in the heart of Central Texas, it's the Best of the Outdoors podcast. Brought to you by Texas Fishing Game Magazine, the voice of the Texas Outdoor Nation. I'm your humble host, Dustin Von Warnke, and man, am I excited to have you guys on this show today. We're starting the first part of our saltwater series, and uh, we're going to be doing a series throughout the new year, or just kind of probably in the first part of the new year, dealing with saltwater fishing, in this case, inshore and surf fishing, and then we'll cover offshore fishing and and a bunch of other saltwater topics in the future. And this series I'm going to be doing with Daryl Palm from Double D Extreme Tackle. He makes extreme tackle rigs for big game fish and even inshore rigs and shark rigs and all kinds of different things. So he's a lot of fun to uh, to talk to and a great interview. I've had him on the show before back in 2015 when I launched this podcast before we were part of the Texas Outdoor Nation and um, he's a great guest. I uh, loved having him on the show then, love having him on the show now. We recorded this at the very end of December between Christmas and New Year's. So this is one that I've kind of had in the can that I'm letting out here in uh, the middle uh, mid to later part of uh, January. And uh, we'll probably rebroadcast this podcast again closer to March when sharks start to be a big deal because we talk a lot about shark safety, stingray safety, as well as um, safety around hardheads, gaff tops, so on and so forth, and some of the ways you can handle fish. Um, like that, uh, that are quote unquote dangerous fish that you can uh, encounter in the Gulf of Mexico in the bay systems and uh, inshore and surf fishing. So, uh, really enjoyed this podcast. Thank you, really enjoyed it. We go a little longer in this episode than we do in some of the other ones. And um, But I really think you like the content. It's really solid stuff. So, thanks so much again for watching, reading, or listening. Thank you so much for telling a friend about the show. Thank you so much for subscribing to the show. And also, I want to thank you for listening because without you, the listener, we would not have a podcast. We would not be part of the Texas Outdoor Nation. We wouldn't get any sponsors. So you're the one that makes it all happen, and from the bottom of my heart, thank each and every one of you guys for tuning in every time we do one of these shows every two weeks. So anyway, here's my interview with Mr. Daryl Palmer from Double D Extreme Tackle. Joining me on the phone is Mr. Daryl Palmer from Double D Extreme Tackle, and uh, love to have you, loving to have you back on the show. Really excited to have you back. You were first part of the podcast when we just started this bad boy, and it's great to have you back. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine, uh, Dustin. I appreciate you having me on, man. So tell us just a little bit of background about your how you got into the fishing business, as it were, and what you do with Double D Extreme Tackle, and uh, just kind of your background in fishing, if you don't mind. Well, as a kid, I was, uh, as many of us were, a uh, uh, military, what they call a military brat. My dad was in the service. He was a Navy uh, career counselor. And uh, with that, we moved all over the place, all over the United States. All, I wouldn't say all over the world. The furthest I lived was Hawaii. That's where I was born. And, um, I, uh, got the, uh, advantage of, of fishing, uh, starting fishing young, about four years old with my mom up in Rhode Island and, uh, moving different places and, and doing different things, you know, over the years, um, I got to experience a lot of different types of fishing. And then, uh, I was, uh, I served my, myself, I served in, uh, the U S Navy and, uh, was stationed up in great lakes. So I got to uh, experience some uh, lake fishing, and, and uh, I did steelhead, bass, musky, northern. Uh, and uh, I was, uh, I guess, what you student of the uh, of the you know fishing, uh, not really industry, but a student of, of uh, just those types of fishing. 
Sure. And so I gained a lot of knowledge over the years from different different settings and different situations. So um, I, uh, as far as starting my company, um, I started it uh, uh, 10 years ago last month in November of 07. And um, we were, we had moved, my wife and I had moved to uh, Texas to uh, be closer to my relatives and, and my, my parents and that. So uh, um, I started fishing down in, in uh at the texas city dike and uh there were i'd go out and, and got i basically got into red fishing and and large drum and that and and, and using the the gear that uh, you could buy at you know the stores and the bait shops and stuff um a lot of times uh, it didn't hold up you know and and i would lose good fish right and finally i was just like you know what i got tired of it and uh, started building my own and then uh, my wife's like, well, you know, well, well, you know, people kept, you know, started asking me, well, where'd you get this stuff? I'm like, I'm building it on my own. And I'm like, well, let me, let me borrow one, you know, or let me have, you know, can you, can you sell me one? And, and uh, after a few times of that happening, she's like, well, why don't you put them on eBay? And uh, so I did. And uh, the first month I sold probably a dozen. And on this, in the first year, I probably sold a couple of hundred, 300 rigs. And the rest is, is pretty much history. That's great. That's wonderful. And the one claim to fame that you have with your rigs is what? They don't break. Right. They're 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 as strong as the material they're crimped on. Uh, I use a combination of monos and cables. I don't use wire uh, because it's hard on the fish and hard on your hands. But uh, as far as the monos and cables go. Uh, with a with a 90 pound rig that i manufacture now and 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 then as well but uh i can take and and straighten out an eight aught j hook i must add eight on a j hook that's pretty good and with a 275 rig i can straighten out a 14 aught circle hook Mm. and that's single crimped so wow and you crimp everything yourself by hand, which I think is just amazing. You know, your hands got to get tired after a while, I guess, huh? It does here and there, but uh, you know, it's uh, I've got it down to pretty much a science. So that's uh, cool. Uh, in the last in the last ten years, having you know several thousand rigs go out the door, I've suffice it to say I've I've got a little experience crimping. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that on the last show you and I did. That's really funny. And um, so that's really great. What I wanted to get into this show with, and you and I talked about this in our pre-chat, is, um, you know, redfish, um, black drum, small to medium large sharks, inshore, and surf fishing. And we've done a podcast before with Marcus Heflin, who uh, is a surf fishing Santa um, that we did. I guess this has been a f- several episodes ago. And he, he was really great inside of, uh, he has a fishing ministry, much like the one I'm part of, that, you know, he wades out in the surf and that kind of stuff. But we didn't really talk about brass tacks and gear um like i wanted to with this show i kind of wanted to talk about the basics and getting back to basics on uh, on things so basically we wanted to talk about rods reels line baits rigs that kind of stuff the basics of surf fishing and inshore inshore fishing um can you just give us a basic breakdown of, of what and what you were saying earlier um was just you 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 a lot of us go out there get spooled you know have a fish break off or whatever and we reevaluate our 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 gear and and kind of look to beef it up some isn't that right yeah that's exactly right uh you go out and you it's a it's a learning process from from you know start to whenever 
you know, it's always a learning process. I've been doing this uh, 10 years now, and I go out every day when I go fishing. You know, I learn something new. You know, right. you got to be open to that. Sure. But, uh, no, as far as rods go, uh, you've got basically uh, two different kinds of rods. You've got uh, spinning and you've got casting. Spinning being the larger eyes, casting being the smaller eyes. And from there, you have, you know, different rod lengths, different uh, rods, you know, sizes, um, different rod weights. You know, obviously, if you're going to be going for larger, uh, larger game fish, you want to be going with a heavier rod. And uh, but you don't want to go with a broomstick, so to speak. And then you start getting into as far as um, now me, as far as I'm concerned, I like casting. I'm a casting guy. I've got a couple of spinning rods for, for uh, my nephew or for friends or whatever that I can bring with. But primarily, uh, as far as my personal preference, is I prefer casting gear. Okay. Um, and uh, I also prefer um, a graphite comp, which is a graphite and uh, fiberglass composite. It's a combination of the two, and you get the best of both worlds. You get strength from the... the uh, from the uh, graphite, mm -hmm. and then you also get uh, flexibility from the fiberglass. Sure. So it's it's the best of both worlds. So, um, but some guys prefer all glass rods, like uh, like ugly sticks. Most of the ugly sticks, your your tens and twelves, are all glass, and those are those are nice rods. But uh, uh, unfortunately, I've blown up an ugly stick before, so. Uh, I, I tend to go with, with different types of rods now. Over the over the course of several years, um, my actual go-to rod is a, um, a very inexpensive rod, and it's what's called a Daiwa beef stick. Okay. I love the way, I love the way they load up. Um, it's, a I believe, a graphite comp rod, and uh, it's a casting. You can get them in casting or, or spinning, but uh, the... Uh, that particular rod is, like I said, inexpensive. They have really good backbone to them, and I've I've never broke one, so you know I, I'm looking at. I basically look at it. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Sure, I get so, that. Anyway, uh, and then you get into your reels, your spinning reels, and your casting reels, and that. And there's a plethora of casting reels out there. I'm I'm not gonna, you know, say one's better than the other one. Uh, one thing you want to look at is uh, if you're. Uh, new to the casting reel uh or you know genre then you probably want to get a magnetic drag on it uh i know several reel manufacturers offer that on their on their larger casting reels 30s 40s 50s um some do some don't i uh been fishing with casting reels most of my life so i don't really have a whole lot of use for them but uh casting into the wind uh can be a different story because uh you know, you get a lot of, uh, some people call them bird nests. Uh, some people call them backlashes. Uh, for uh, for me, it's a professional overrun. <laughs> professional? I've never heard it called that before. That's great. <laughs> so, professional that's, that's what overrun. I call it, professional overrun. So, uh, anyway, uh, what do you call it? Uh, well, yeah, when you're casting into the wind, it uh, a lot of times it does help. They have a mag magnetic uh, drag on it, so you, you, uh, you don't backlash the reel. So, um Anyway, uh, you're uh, with, you know, in the last 10, 15 years with the advent of uh, 
of uh, spectra and uh, and braids and that your your super braids, uh, you can get a lot more uh, capacity on a reel uh, using a combination of, of uh, braid and, and uh, mono. I typically use uh, uh, the uh, Jerry Brown braid. That's the one I prefer. It's a smoother, uh, more supple braid. Uh, it's not as hard on the eyes of the rod and uh, it uh, it's incredibly strong as strong as any of them the mono i prefer is uh from uh, afw it's uh, it's called grand slam and i use what they call grand slam quattro which is a four color mono it changes every few inches to different colors therefore it breaks it up under water and it's less likely to be seen by your you know by game fish sure and that's one of the things you make rigs for is for big game fish that are wary, uh, you know, uh, competitors out there, you know, when it comes to getting out there with the heavy hard hitters, right? That's correct. That's correct. No, that's great. Um, so that's the basics online, rod and reel. Um, tell us a little bit about rigs and what kind of rigs you prefer to use. And that's, that's especially for the inshore and, um, you know, your, uh, you're, you're a heavy hitter inshore fish, and you may be on a kayak, you may be surf fishing, you may be in a bay boat, but what's your what's your viewpoint on that? What I've found works best for me, now this, I mean, you may, you know, everybody's got their preference. What works for me is a combination of mono and cable. Like right. I said earlier, I don't like to use the, the uh, piano wire, the wire, single strand right. wire, because right. it's one, it's hard on the fish, and another, it's uh, it's hard on your hands. Well, and you can, to, you can compromise it, too, by bending it too much and that kind of stuff. Am I right about that? That's right. Okay. Uh, if you bend it, it, uh, it, it uh, decreases the, the, uh, the capacity of that, of that uh, wire. Sure. And it can actually break off on you. Well, like I said, uh, I normally use uh, monos and cables, a combination of the two. I use cable down by the fish where it counts. So if you get a shark on or something toothy, it doesn't cut the line. And I use mono uh, up above the uh, cable to put this floating swivel on. A lot of guys uh, down here use what they call fish finder rigs. And it's similar to that where you have a floating swivel along the mono. And uh, that's where you put your weight. But the mono, uh, once you cast it out a few times, if uh, your rig was all cable, the weight, which is usually six to eight ounces, would uh tends to uh bend the cable right above the uh a lot of guys put a, a crimp sleeve on the cable to uh, as a weight stop and once you kink the cable it loses uh strength capability right so you compromise the strength of the cable therefore i use mono mm -hmm. the mono is a lot heavier it's 300 pound mono or 200 pound mono and it has relatively no effect on it and uh, so you get the best of both worlds. And then uh, also, uh, except for the hooks, now I use I do use some black hooks, but uh, they're, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, black nickel coated. Um, but uh, all the hardware I use is all black. I don't like anything shiny on my gear. You mentioned that on the last show. I, I'm starting to remember this now, and I need to go back and listen to that podcast, and I'll put that in the show notes. But I remember you had a reason for having everything black. Yeah, because game fish will go after shiny objects. Mm -hmm. And if you're using something shiny like a, a, a nickel-plated or gold-plated this, that, or the other swivel, you know, snap swivel, whatever, 
um, fish can go after that, and then they go after your rig instead of the bait. Instead of the bait, yeah, and that that's where the rubber meets the road because if if you, you get them on the rig, then you're not going to get them on the hook, you know, and that's where the that's where it counts. <laughs> so yeah, that makes a lot right. of well, sense. Well, I try to keep on, on everything I build. I try to keep the focus on the bait, right? And so that's what I want the the fish or the potential you know predator you know big game fish to focus on is the bait and nothing else. Sure. And um, so that's why I you know I build everything with with black hardware. And um, I'm some of the new rigs I'm building now. Um, the HD Shark rigs and some of the deep drops are built with uh, black mono. It's not a smoke mono. It's a jet black. Huh. And and so it uh, it does not reflect light underwater and um it blends in better with with the uh you know sand bottoms because there's all kinds of you know dead plant matter in that and it's all black so that's cool that's really cool and one of the rigs i remember that you made when we got together and that you showed me or either you brought to me or you showed me a photo of is one you call like a striper rig it's like a an inshore rig that you you basically uh on the 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 weight you actually have your your bait uh hanging off of is that still something you do yes i still do the striper rig uh basically your striper rig is so you can use uh most of the rigs i build um for surf fishing and that you can right. use they're built for spider weights okay now, okay spider weights uh, that's what the, i was trying to say spider weights yeah that's right well i built the the uh striper rig for a certain uh area of the country which is the northeast and guys up there like to fish striper and they don't use spider weights in that neck of the woods because uh, of the bottom it's more rocky more shell mm, I instead, see. Of, instead of being mud and, and and sand like it is down here on the coast and um being it's more uh rocky and, and more shell bottom your spider weights are going to get hung and you're going to lose rigs most you know a, a lot quicker with the spider weight than you would use with they say a uh, uh, a teardrop weight right right or what they call what's uh referred to as a bank sinker uh-huh and so I built those for use with bank sinkers or, you know, any other kind of weight that, that doesn't have legs on it. Right. Like spider weight. So I actually put a little J hook. It's ma- it's mounted on the mono part of the rig, the heavy mono. And you can actually hang your bait on that little tiny J hook um, instead of um, hanging it on the spider weight, which you would normally hang on one of the, the coastal rigs. Sure. I so you can, you can fish them from the boat. You can fish them from shore. But it also, what it does, it keeps the bait and the weight in a little compact package. So when you're casting it out, you don't lose distance because of your bait and weight helicoptering in midair. Right, right, which makes a lot of sense because we've all been there that, that's fished uh, even freshwater, you know, where your bait kind of helicopters out there in the wind and you know, the wind catches it and blows it one way or the other or whatever, but this keeps it all in one tight package. I think that's smart. Even for, do, do people use those? And I've asked you this before, but I can't remember the answer. Is Do people use those for catfish and striper and things like that and in freshwater? Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yes. I they figured. use them for catfish. They use them for striper. Um, some guys uh, also use them for, uh, for sturgeon. But uh, the only difference in the the uh, sturgeon is that I use uh, I order a special barbless hook. From, oh um, yeah, because of the laws, and, right? Yeah, and uh, yeah, you can't fish for sturgeon with with any hooks with a barb on it, so they have to be barbless. So I have I have special hooks that I use for uh, folks that that do fish sturgeon, 
and uh, the the rigs are are plenty strong. Like I said, uh, with a ninety pound rig, um, I can I can like I said bend out, straighten out an eight aught J hook. Right. And uh, so they're plenty strong for for any type of sturgeon. It's a two hundred pound mono, and then uh, on that particular rig, it's an eighty pound mono. Uh, for your lower part of the rig, but you don't have anything toothy that can cut through it. So yeah, that makes sense. Wow. So this is this is also educational to me because I fish, you know, some saltwater, just not a lot. And and the more I I look at, you know, this kind of stuff is something I really want to get in more because I'm thinking of getting a sup board or some kind of a combination between a kayak and a sup and doing some bay fishing and uh, some more freshwater fishing kind of in a, in a small boat, small craft like that, uh, with, if the water's calm and that kind of stuff. But um, one of the things I wanted to cover with you is uh, baits. What do you use for what species typically? Uh, for redfish um, in, this, in the early spring and late fall, um, cut crab uh fresh fresh uh blue crab okay um you take and you and you leg it and shell it and then basically cut it in half and uh run your hook through the leg through in through one leg socket out through the other sure and you have you have two baits off of each crab oh okay yeah that makes sense yeah sure um you you can also um and i've I've done it and caught caught reds on it and caught black drum you can also use the claws you run okay. that. Uh, there's there's two sections on the claw. You have the main part of the claw where the, the actual claw is, and then you've got uh, an upper part, like like uh, say the upper part of the arm, but you've got a, a, an elbow in there in the middle, and you run your hook through that elbow. Okay, I get and it. And then and then uh, back out through the shell, which is pretty easy with a hook. It'll it'll grind out pretty quick. You just kind of wiggle it a little bit, and it'll it'll come back out through the shell. But then you take a pair of pliers. And you take and you tap on the shell just to crack it a little bit. And what it does, there's juice inside the shell, and it, it lets that juice come out, and that's what the attracts the fish. But uh, otherwise, uh, in the spring, uh, late spring, early summer, you know, all, all through up till, till early fall, um, basically whatever's in the surf uh, is what I use for bait. Because whatever's in the surf is what they're going to be eating. Right, match the hatch kind of. If you were a fly fisherman, yeah, whatever right. the, whatever's right. theirs, which whatever you want to offer to them, and that's good. Because I, I, the next thing I was going to ask you is about sharks, but I mean, a lot of this is even shark material too, is it not? Yeah, I mean, sharks will sharks will pretty much eat anything. Right. Uh, they're not real particular about what they want to eat. If they're out there and you've got bait in the water, um, they're gonna you're you know if they're hungry, they're gonna pick it up unless there's a ton of bait in the water. And they don't have to, you know, they're scavengers to a point. They're opportunists and they're also, um, ambush predators. So they will in, in, in most situations down here on the coast, the water's cloudy or, or, you know, um, it's not clear for the most part. And so you're going to have, uh, sharks, uh, browsing just on the other side of, uh, the sandbars in the little guts. Right. And so um, that's basically where you want to throw is on the back side of the sandbar because that's where they're going to be. Right. That's and where they're going to be most likely to hook up with one. Yeah. That makes sense. Right. Or, or further out, you know, off, offshore. But uh, I mean, a lot, when I go shark fishing, um, I'll go different, different uh, distances out. I'll go, you know, on the, on the back of the second sandbar, on the back of the third sandbar, and then, you know, one out you know, 150, 200 yards, and then one out about 300 yards, just, just to find out where they're at. 
And do you um, weigh the but the the baits out there, or do you you know kayak them out there, or do you just basically cast real long, or how do you do that? Uh, it depends. Depends on what I'm using. If sure. I'm using a regular shark rod with uh, say a six odd and a and a boat you know roller rod, it's going to get kayaked. You really okay. can't cast those. Right. It's kind of you know. And then if I'm using a surf rod, um, sometimes I even kayak those out, but most sure. of the time those get casted. Okay, I was so just that's, curious. That's where you—that's where you want the distance, and that's where the rig comes in, where you hang the the uh, the bait. Uh, there, I, on all the rigs I build, the inshore rigs, uh, all the shark rigs I build, um, other than the HDs, uh, all the castable stuff, uh, I put a larger loop at the hook. And um, as far as I can tell, I'm the only guy that does that. But it provides you a larger loop to hang on the spider weight, so when you do cast it out, you don't get it hung in the rig. It flops, it falls off the off the weight as soon as it hits the water. Right, I get that. No, that's cool, and that makes a lot of sense. Just the 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 setup of your your thinking when it comes to designing these rigs, I think is just brilliant. And I say that about a lot of my guests, you know, but who who've invented something or come up with something or come up with a better mousetrap, if you will, because it, it it in turn helps you put the bait where the fish want it and helps you land that fish, which is the ultimate goal, right? That's correct. I mean, uh, one of the things that, uh, other other things I use is you were asking about baits earlier sure. and I kind of touched on that. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to go a little bit more into the baits. Yeah, uh, sure. It's whatever, whatever's in the surf. Uh, I'll go out there with, uh, with a small rod, you know, uh, what they call a bait rod, a little spinning rod or, or a casting rod with little basic, basically little, uh, the long, uh, J hooks, uh-huh. but quarter inch, eighth inch gap on the hook, something very small. I use half a shrimp and I'll, I'll chunk it out there and, Whatever's biting, you know, if you get whiting or or, or uh, piggy perch piggy or perch, yeah, I was just gonna say that, yeah, or whatever, and um, I'll, if I start catching, you know, croaker or whiting, then I'll, I'll uh, slice that up and throw it on on one of the surf rods, and that's what goes out. Uh-huh. But if I catch different things, and a lot of times I'll I'll bring a cast net and catch a few finger mullet, catch some. If there's some horse mullet in the surf, I'll try to you know net a few of those. Sure. I use a plethora of different baits on the get-go to figure out what they're biting on. Yep. So, because some one day they may like uh, croaker, the next day they may like piggy perch. There's really no rhyme or reason to what they're biting on. It's just what they're preferring. Right, that particular day. Sure, I get that. Right. Yeah, and that's the joy of fishing because you've got to figure all that out on the fly, you know, <laughs> while you're uh, while you're in the middle of it. No, that's good. I was just um, I was just curious. So that's what you use for shark as well because they can be finicky eaters sometimes, can't they? Oh yeah, shark. Uh, um, sometimes they, like I said, sometimes they want mullet. Sometimes they like uh, a lot of guys use stingray. A lot of guys for your larger sharks. A lot of guys use, uh, you know, uh, bonita, um, jack mackerel ladyfish all those are available at local bait stores it depends on what uh, what the sharks are, are hungry for and if they're hungry uh best time the best time to catch sharks actually the worst time to go waiting is right at dusk and, and first thing in the morning because that's when the sharks are feeding okay that's, that's good when to know. they're closest that's when they're closest into shore because that's when like i said earlier they're ambush predators and they're they're opportunistic predators yes 
they go with the betas. And that's the that's interesting it. thing. I wanted to touch on it, especially on this show, because we touched on it basically in the, the show we did a couple of years ago. You know, it's it's vitally important to be safe out there, um, you know, and I want to touch on that before the show's over with, especially about how to handle a shark, how to handle a stingray. You sent me a photo the other day when we were just uh, talking on the phone of a stingray um, stinger. And, uh, man, that scares the crap out of me. <laughs> Those things are humongous, the one that you sent me from about 10 years ago that you got. Um, so, you know, I think something like that when it comes to talking about saltwater fishing is vitally important as well. Well, I mean, and safety is, is paramount. Uh, uh, like I said, that's one of the reasons I don't use uh, the piano wire, the single-strand wires, just for safety reasons for the fish and for the fishermen. It's hard on your hands, um, right? Yeah, that's what you were saying Yeah, it's, it, yeah. It, it can be hard on your hands. Even even if you have gloves on, it can actually go through the gloves. So wow. um, the, the, I'm not talking about the actual uh, wire. I'm talking about the ends where it's where it's twisted or whatever. You got right, your twist. right. It's like a sharp and edge, exactly. It yeah. is. It, it is, and it can be. It can be very sharp. So, um, as far as safety goes, uh, yeah. Um, if you're going to be fishing in the surf, uh, I wouldn't be out. You know, if you're an hour or so after dark, that's one thing. But uh, if you're going to be fishing right at dusk, uh, be careful. Be very careful about know what your surroundings are and and uh it's really not worth it to go out there especially you know if you're in florida uh last year was a really really the shark populations were really really high last year inshore and there were a lot of sharks you know cruising the 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 uh, the beaches and uh, just off the beaches so right. uh be careful you know uh say uh, an hour before dusk or an hour before you know uh, like i said dusk an hour after dusk an hour before daybreak an hour after daybreak um i wouldn't be in the water myself those are peak times for for feeding for feeding shark those are peak times for shark feeding and um most if you if you uh uh, look at a lot of the shark attacks a lot of them occurred during those times yeah that's a good point so um the other thing is to when you get a shark in um, I mean, redfish and, and drum, they're, they're pretty much, uh, there's nothing really on them that can, can really hurt you except for, um, when you're trying to pick up a, uh, uh, drum or redfish, uh, try to pick it up, uh, around the, uh, where the gills meet at the, at the underside of the fish, yes. not, not up in the, in the mouth area and not across the palate. That needs to be said. Uh, yeah, that for sure. Those, go ahead. Those, Keep going. What they do is they they're both uh, they both feed on crustaceans. That's why they like crab, and they can take and crush a uh, a full grown crab or a, or an oyster. They they feed on oysters as well, and they can crush oysters with that palate. So if they can crush an oyster, they can make mince meat out of your thumb mm-hmm. or your fingers. So yeah. be very careful when you're picking them up because. Um, a buddy of mine had that happen, and it basically, like I said, it crushed his thumb, oh. lost his nail, and everything, and Jeez. it was it was pretty pretty gross. But yeah, um, you they're aware. very 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 uh, powerful, and that's uh, it's hard cartilage in his mouth, and then on on the bottom side, bone on the top. So uh, just be real careful when you're when you're trying to pick up a redfish. Um, also, if you're when you're picking up reds, uh, pick them up from the from the gills and the tail. Yes. Don't don't hold them straight up and down. Right. Uh, it's not good for the fish. Right. Try to hold them horizontally instead of vertically. If you uh, catch a drum, say if you're out on a boat or whatever, fishing in any, any more than ten feet of water, 
if you bring up a drum, you have to uh, air the drum. In other words, you have to basically puncture the air bladder and let the air out so he can swim back to the bottom. Um, there's plenty of uh, websites or plenty of uh, how-tos on that out on YouTube. Well, so and there's that. there's a product out there of a company that I've I've come in contact with my work in the advertising world, and that's Venafish that makes a, a basically a needle that is protected from the human hand, you know, and basically just does its job to vent the fish, and so it can go back down and release and and uh, and live a good life. Um, but you know, there there are other to- tools in the market like that too. But that's one I wanted to mention, Venafish. Um, you know, it, it, it's kind of a specialty tool for something like that for venting fish like that. Right, right. Well, like I said, there's plenty of videos out there for you yes. to watch where to where to vent them. Yes, it's basically if you basically lay the uh, the 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 pectoral fin, lay it on the side of the uh, the fish, and it's about an inch behind the pectoral fin, and uh, the uh, you go in at an angle uh, about a 45 degree angle towards from the from the tail towards the the, the nose of the fish, and usually you'll hit the it's it's not real hard to hit. So you just let them air out, and then and then you uh, pull the needle out. Right, right. No, that's they'll, good. They'll, they'll, yeah, they'll heal up within within a day or so, and, and it won't hurt them. Yeah, be back to normal again. Yeah. Right. No, that's. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's something you need to be concerned about with those pulling those fish out of deep water. Um, I know it's close to an inshore and bay fishing and stuff is very, uh, you know, shallow and skinny water in a lot of regards. But if you ever get that out there with black drum and that kind of stuff, that's something to really keep in mind. I'm glad you mentioned that, Daryl. You want to be. Uh, as friendly to to the uh, you know the fish that you're catching, if you're not going to keep them, you want to them to have the best chance of, of survival. survival. Right. So yeah, and you and I talked a lot on the last show we did about conservation and about you know you've got some stuff on uh, that you've you've come up with and posted uh, different places about you know uh, cutting your line after you take it off of the spool, um, cutting up mono and cutting up you know rigs and stuff like that to uh, not rigs but cutting up. Um, uh, your uh, your line so it does not entangle nature in the future and that kind of stuff. And I think those kind of things are vitally important too. Yeah, it is. It is. There's a lot of uh, a lot of fishing line. Some places that you do take the fishing line to, they say they recycle it. And uh, some places I've seen that uh, that line just ends up in a dumpster when right. the, when the boom gets full. And some places actually recycle it. Uh, I would look for somebody that actually does before I drop it off in some bin somewhere. Yeah, the the what you're talking about is the uh, is a spool that I retrofit with a with a bolt through it and then uh, cut one section of the spool out sort of like a pie wedge yes. out of the spool and you uh, mount that bolt on your uh, cordless drill and you oh, can strip, okay. you can strip a, strip a 6 aught reel in a, a, a couple of minutes. That's pretty cool. That. Yeah. Like and uh, strip all the mono up, but then you use uh, a pair of cutters or or, or whatever uh, through that pie slice that's cut out of the spool, yes. and you can get underneath the line and on top of the line, and you can basically cut it, and it just it just falls right off the spool once you cut through right. it. And it's pretty From much rendered useless. Yeah, that. One, and it's right. it's at that point it, it is useless, but it's also uh, in less than one foot sections the entire spool. Yes. So it can't it can't entangle anything because the line will go into the the landfills and there are predators, wolves and birds and and all kinds of scavengers Coyotes, that go yeah. out there, and you don't want them to get get killed either. 
No, I mean, and that's that's the thing, like, like for instance, and this is a very simple thing, but every time I get a six-pack of soda or anything like that that has those rings on it, I'm always, you know, I've learned this from when I was a, a little kid, you know, always cut those because they are going to end up in landfill and a turkey buzzer could get wrapped around it, you know, and die that way, and what an awful way to die. So I always am still teaching my son, who's eight, and, um, you know, everybody around me that I can reach about, you know, hey, cut up your line after you're done with it. Don't just leave this stuff to chance because it can't hurt some future wildlife even in a landfill you know that's a very good point yeah and especially i mean your larger your larger uh weights of mono your anything you know 20 yard 20 20 pound and up sure basically uh a lot of the four or five pound they can 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 uh, pull out of but uh you get 20 30 strands of it and then then they can't so yeah cut it cut it up as much as you can before you before you throw it away yeah, uh, conservation is is something that uh, is very important to me. Um, if you're not going to keep uh, the fish for for uh, eating or whatever, just let it go. There's sure. no reason to kill it. Sure. And and use use hooks and tackle to in a way where you know it's it's beneficial uh, for you to catch the fish, but it's also beneficial for the fish not to gut hook the fish or not to to do un- any undue harm to the right. fish you know, while you're bringing it in. And yeah. I'll even say this, even if it's a hard head, because those can, if you kill those and throw them back in the water, those, those spine, the dorsal fin can really hurt somebody if they step on it. Um, you know, I always try to be very careful when I'm dealing with hardhead catfish and, and uh, gaff top and that kind of stuff that some people don't eat um, and that are hard to clean or whatever, that you just don't discard those and, and, and you know, be careless with them because there's a lot of pain that they can inflict, you know, live or dead. Yeah, they are. They're, they're, uh, the worst thing, of, the bad thing about hardheads is their, uh, their spines, that's the three spines on it, the, the tri-fins, tri if you will, are, are barbed on one side. And so you, they push in, but you can't pull them out. They have to be kind of surgically removed or, or pushed all the way through. And uh, most people, when they get uh, hit with a with a uh, hard head barb, it's usually just a nick. Yes. Uh, it usually just pokes you a little bit and then, and then pops right back out. It doesn't go all the way in. But even those can be in, extremely painful because they do have a toxin right. on their food. That was the next thing I was going to mention. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the thing is, and it sounds weird, but it does work and that is take the slime off the hard head and rub it into the wound and oh. that will neutralize the, the the toxin that's coming off the fin i learned that from you years ago so i have so, you to think for that yeah yeah it does work so uh works better than meat tenderizer or wd-40 or or whatever else you've heard right because they're they're uh their own they're immune to their own toxins yes and then they carry that immunity in the slime on their skin that is really interesting you know i mean how how intricately designed all of nature is i always i always bring that up but i I think that's kind of interesting so the antidote's right there in the slime you know wow yep it is uh, and uh, now you mentioned earlier uh stingrays be very careful with stingrays um Obviously, we know, you know, Steve Irwin met his uh, demise at the hands of a, of a big stingray, but it wasn't the stingray's fault. Uh, he just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And uh, they can move their tails very, very quickly. They're incredibly strong as far as their tails. And the barbs, uh, as, as opposed to hardhead barbs, they're, they're barbed on both sides. Yes. Just like the, the picture that I sent you, Dustin. Uh-huh. 
and it's a uh, pretty nasty picture. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty brutal. But uh, there's they've also got a toxin in their uh, on on their barb, which uh, basically it's it's meant to deter predators right from going after them, and it's it's their one of their defenses. But uh, yeah, if you get a stingray barb. Uh, make sure you uh, cut it off from the stingray with a pair of uh, wire cutters. Right. Just leave it, leave it wherever it is. Don't try to pull it out and go on to the hospital. Uh-huh. But uh, now I don't know if the uh, hardhead slime works on the stingray barbs <laughs> or, or not. But I've never <laughs> Something tried tells that, me but... it doesn't, but that's okay. You mean I have a hardhead right? Who knows? It may. It, it may. might. Who that's knows? right. That's right. But yeah, um, those are those are like I said, barbed on both sides and. You either have to push them all the way through, or Ew. they have to be surgically removed. Uh, don't try to pull one out; you'll pull, you'll pull, start pulling flesh. Yeah, flesh and skin and everything else. And I was also going to ask you. I think you know we're talking about safety a lot on this show. Uh, how do you handle a shark? What's the best way to handle a shark? Because I've caught some, but I've not successfully landed. We typically have cut them off at the boat, or you know wherever the case may be. In in some of the guide trips I've been at, or broken off. Um, what do you do when you want to keep a shark? I mean, how do you best handle that? Well, if you're going to keep a shark, you, you should keep one between say four to five feet or three to five feet. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably the best table fare for, for pretty much any shark uh, that you want to keep. Um, the, the tastiest ones end up being uh, your black tips and your, uh, um, uh, your sand sharks. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're pretty tasty when they're, when they're cooked correctly. Um, you want to bleed them out if you're going to keep them because the blood uh, can taint the meat and make the meat taste really, really strong. Typically, what we do, and, and you know, it's it's one of those where you know you process the fish, and, and it's what we do is we cut the tail off. Yes. So the, the fish will go ahead; it'll go ahead and bleed, bleed out. out. Right, right, right. Yeah. But uh, the thing is, if you're in a boat, um, you you want to. Uh, put it somewhere where the blood's not going to leach out of or drain out of the boat into the water because then you're just uh you'll have hundreds of sharks yeah. within, you know, you're, you're asking just, for trouble for, yeah. yeah you're asking for trouble so it's <laughs> a good way uh, to say it that where yeah. you, it doesn't drain out of your boat but uh yeah go ahead and bleed the shark out put it on ice uh leave the head on it you can gut it if you want to but leave the head on and then um and and uh cut the tail off but if you're not going to keep the shark, the best way of handling sharks um, under three feet, uh, depending on how how uh, robust you are, you know, how much body strength you've got, because the, the, the sharks are very, very strong. You know, they're unimaginably strong uh, side to side as yes. far as the tail movement. They can slap you um, with that tail. Yeah, that's one thing you my and I brother, talked about before. My brother's, uh, he's 6'4", and, or 6'3", and he's a big dude. He... Uh, and he couldn't take uh, an 18-inch hammerhead that we caught out at uh, 91st one time. He couldn't hold it still. If it moved, he couldn't hold it wow. still. Wow, yeah, it they're was, strong. It was that strong. Yeah. They're that strong. Sure. So um, up to three feet, what you want to do is you want to take and turn them over on their back. Uh-huh. And it's what's called tonic immob- immobility, and it uh, immobilizes the shark. So the shark will just stop. It doesn't hurt them. It just immobilizes them. Yes. Okay. And so then you can get the hook out and uh, have um, somebody else uh, have a buddy or whatever get the hook out <laughs> with a, with a, with a D hooker. Um, yeah. I recommend 
if you haven't got one, get yourself an ARC, A-R-C, D-Hooker. Mm-hmm. They're great. They're strong. And uh, they work real good on, on uh, getting, you know, hooks out of sharks and hooks out of other fish. But um, you want to uh, pull it from the front of the, you know, out the, out of the mouth, away from the mouth, and uh, in the opposite direction that the hook is into the shark. But uh, have somebody hold the shark and then somebody else de-hook it. Oh, that's good and to know. For, for your larger sharks, uh, up, you know, say four or five footer up, you're not going to want to pick them up and hold them. They're 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 not too cuddly. Yeah, uh, they don't want to snuggle. They're too, heavy. <laughs> they're, they're too heavy to hold upside down. Yes. So what you want to do is you want to leave them on the beach or you know the boat or whatever, and you basically either want to pin their head down, and uh, for your larger sharks, your eights, you know, eights above eight foot, nine foot, ten foot. You actually want to straddle the head in front of the dorsal. Okay. And just sit down on the shark. It's not going to hurt them. It'll keep them from moving. But once you do that, stay away from the tail. Yes. Because uh, a a five-foot shark, if you have him pinned down on the beach and somebody's standing next to the tail uh, and he goes to whip that tail, even a little five-foot, four-foot, five-foot shark can break an ankle. Uh-huh. They're that they're that strong. They're viciously strong. Yeah, no, and that's one thing I learned about you as far as shark handling. I learned from you about shark handling is, you know, it's just you can't ever be too careful. It's like gun safety for heaven's sakes. You know, it's just about um, you know taking care of each other that's out there and uh, taking care of of that animal or that that uh, that shark or that fish that you want to let go um you know conservation wise but also just being uber uber safe you just really can't be too safe around these creatures that's right that's right and and you know obviously it goes without saying you want to stay away from the business end of the shark yes you know you don't want to you want to stay away from the teeth um don't hold them by the mid mid body because they can uh they can rotate their heads more than 90 degrees and get you uh-huh and that's happened to a guy that i was with on the coast uh sea drift area um out on uh, port o'connor area and uh had a guy that told me a story that he had one by the tail and was lifting it out under from underneath his body and it reached around and caught him in the chest and he said it wasn't that bad of a bite but it just hurt like the dickens you know um, but you know, he, it, it literally got him just because he wasn't paying attention of what, you know, what that shark was capable of. So, you know, that's, right. that the goes best, without saying, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. The best point to grab a shark, a smaller shark is right behind the head. Right. Right. You no, I've heard that. I've heard of, that. I'm still in learning front of here, the dorsal fin, right. yeah, in front of the dorsal fin, right on top of the head and just hold him, grip him tight because, and, and when you turn him over, he is going to thrash a little bit you can keep one hand on the tail one hand on his head uh-huh. and once he stops thrashing and he gets immobilized then work on the hook okay. um, your larger sharks um uh, like i said pin them down something seven foot eight foot nine foot ten foot whatever you could actually sit on their head uh just in front of the dorsal fin straddle them and don't put all your weight on them but enough to keep them pinned Right. Um, an easy way to do it is to put one knee on on each of the of the the pectoral fins. The pectoral fins. Okay. Cool. That's and and uh, kind of hold them down, and that'll keep him from moving side to side. Uh, when he starts wiggling, he'll move his tail and not his head, but stay away from the tail. Like I yes. said earlier. Yeah. Uh, do not hold the tail if you're going to hold the head of the shark, a large shark, and then have somebody else uh, come around the front with uh, like I said, an arcty hooker uh follow the line down to the hook have one person pull the leader 
back toward the back of the shark and then have the other person pull the other direction with the arc de hooker and the hook should pop right out. Okay, you've talked mm-hmm. about this on our other show. I remember this, but and I think that's probably the safest way to approach dehooking one uh, right, from any other way I've heard there. of. Yeah. yeah, you don't want to get down there. You know, some guys will take in if if you can get them into the beach. There's no reason not to get that hook out. Right. All else fails, and you just can't get it out if it's embedded too hard into his jaw, which can happen. Sure. Then then you take and you cut the. Uh, the leader as close to the hook as you can without He's getting into the business in too bad. Yeah. That makes right. sense. Right. right. And just stay away from the, well, if you have the head pinned down, he's not got a lot of, of, uh, he can't move too quick, you right. know, too much in either direction. So right. you can get pretty close to him. Oh, just come from the backside of him. Don't come from the, from the, you know, work from the, from the tail toward the nose, not the nose toward the tail. Right. So well, that's good. That's really good. Anyway. Yeah. And then, um, uh, the other thing with sharks, um, if you ever catch a, a hammerhead shark, try to get him into the beach as quickly as possible. Uh-huh. That's something I want to kind of touch on is shark mortality. Sure. Um, hammerheads, different from any other shark, because they will actually fight to the death. If you play a shark out, it's a hammerhead. Uh, if you play him out and he comes in willingly, 99% chance he's dead because he has fought as much as he's got nothing left. Right. So you want to get, if you can identify the hammer, which a great hammer, you'll have a really large dorsal fin, a really high dorsal fin, uh-huh. higher than any other shark. Uh, if you can identify him, get him into the beach quick. Because yeah. um, if you, like I said, if you play him out, by the time you get him in, he's going to be dead, literally. Wow. Um, the rest of them, uh, your bulls and, and tigers and that, you can, you can play them out to a point and get them in. Um, but once you get them on the beach, try to keep them in the, in the, where the water can still get to them. Uh, don't put them way up on the beach, put them where, you know, uh, where the waves can still lap over them. Yep. Not necessarily waves, but you know, a few inches of water. And then that way it does put water on their gills. Circle circulates that water in the gills. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just going to say that's smart. Uh, the faster you can get them unhooked, uh, get them up on, on the, I say on the beach, but into an area where they can they can still breathe to a point. Uh, the faster you can do that, the better. It's it's once you get them on the beach, it's not time to go get the camera out of the truck. You know, <laughs> the camera should already be ready. Yeah. And you know, you unhook them. Um, if you're going to tag them, tag them. Uh, there's any number of places where you can get tagging kits. Sure. Um, and uh, tag them by the dorsal fin, and then uh, release them. Get them back out into the surf and get them back out uh, to where they can swim off. Mm-hmm. That's good. But, I'm, um, I'm glad we talked about that because I didn't really think the, the show would go that way. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite, you know, valuable advice if you've never handled one before. Or even if you have, it's kind of sound advice of something that could happen that maybe hasn't happened to you yet. So, yeah, I think that's really good to discuss. Well, I mean, a lot of guys will go over, you know, how to catch them, but there's, there's not a lot of information out there. On okay, we got one. What do we do with it now? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So uh, this is know. a beast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. yeah. And and they can be they're they're wild animals. Don't treat them as as puppy dogs. They're right. they're not. Yeah, they're. Mean. Uh, you treat them as is as carefully respect them, but respect the fact that they can they can take an arm or a leg. Right. Um, you handle can. them the if you handle them the the the, the right way, you know. Yeah. Uh, keep all your body parts always behind the mouth. 
Uh, don't don't put them in front, right? Uh, because they can lunge and they can uh, they can twist. Right. So, right. No, that's uh, good. So uh, anyway, your that's smaller good. sharks flip them over. Your larger sharks basically pin them down. Pin them but down stay, on the head. Yeah. Stay away from the tails on your larger sharks. No, that's good to know. That's really good to so, know. And overall, I mean, are there any particular brands that you stick to besides your own brand of rig, obviously? Are there any particular outdoor brands that you're kind of fond of that you fish with more than others? I'm just curious if that's okay to ask. Well, I really don't want to say, you know, one way or the other, which which uh, I like the Arc D hooker. Sure. Uh, that's an ARC. Um, that works really good for me. The, the less you, you know, there's small D hookers out there that you can buy for hardheads. And I would highly recommend them just to um, have on, on site. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just to have them. Um, you don't, I don't try to, I try not to touch hard heads at all. I'll use a D hooker on a hard head as much as possible. So I don't have to touch them. And Cause cause you will catch hard heads if you fish, especially cut bait in the surf, you know, I mean, it's, it's pretty much going to happen, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And it typically, if, if hard heads are biting, Typically, there's not much else by it. Right, right. That's another good point to make. <laughs> so you might as well hang it up. Yeah. Um, no, that's good to know. But uh, no, as far as um, uh, AFW, I those are the, the I use their their uh, cables and monos okay. in the gear that I build. Their swivels, their sleeves, um, mustads. I use mustad and owner hooks. Okay. Um, mustad. And those are basically the only the only two I, I like to use. That's about it as far okay. as brands. I was just curious. I mean, I, I just, there, there are certain brands, like I prefer a Mustad in a lot of ways for saltwater. Um, you know, I, I just wanted to kind of go over, there's so many brands out there just to kind of see somebody that's uh, in the professional rig building world, you know, what you like to use, because I think that helps our listeners kind of shop better. But there are, I mean, that's the thing about, and I said this ad nauseum on the show, but we're in the golden age of all this, man. The gear is getting better and it's already better than it ever was last year. You know, I mean, it just really is is continuing to expand, you know, in a lot of ways. It is, and it's uh, the trend is now is getting uh, lighter and stronger. Yeah. Because if you if the the reels that uh, guys are using nowadays are much smaller than they than the ones they were using even five years ago. Right. Uh, their their gear ratios are, are higher. The the uh, you, you know you have a, a small reel that's the size of a bass reel now with a handle. The, that you would use on an offshore, uh, offshore, <laughs> and they work great. Built for they heavy duty business, well yeah. Because uh, you 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 have the the advantage of super braids now, which take up much less room than monos do on a reel, and um, you know, it's just one of those. Uh, but the there's there's certain things that that uh, you know you don't use braid for, and that's one thing you don't lay braid on the sand because it will. Uh, sand will eat it up the braces that's, right that's why, yeah, yeah. The, that's why you use a shock leader or, or use mono on the sand uh you don't use braid in, in high impact situations mm-hmm. because it can break rods it can it can uh it usually doesn't break the the uh braid but it can uh at 26 pounds of drag you have that much drag on a rod and you have a say a uh a wahoo hits it or something like that uh you know 110 pound person you pull you right out of the boat yeah that's good you want that little bit of shock as far as mono goes because it does stretch it gives you a little bit of a shock uh like a shock absorber right right that's good to know too i've always wondered why you like mono so much for that reason and that does make a lot of sense right there 
Well, the other thing is, is that mono cable's more expensive. Yes. And to keep the to keep the cost down, I use a combination of mono and cable. And and not to mention, I do sell all cable rigs, but those are mostly for uh, offshore. Right, right, deep sea and and big 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 game. Yeah. Right, big big right. game. And um, my fella just uh, I built some shark rigs for him about a month ago. Um, he's out on on the uh, coast of of North Carolina. And he's one of the few people, actually the only person I know that that goes out and does uh, fishes for great whites with rod and we rod and reel. Mm. And he actually pulled uh, about a thirteen hundred pound uh, email, got her up to the boat <laughs> with some of the gear that I sent him. It's a four hundred pound mono, oh. the black mono I was telling you about earlier, Man. single crimped, uh with stainless swivels. And uh, stainless uh, and stainless snaps, mm-hmm. and the the upper part of the rig is is a permanent part of the rig, and then the lower part of the rig it's got a 600 pound snap on it, and you can interchange whether you want to want to run cable, or you want to run uh, like in his case, uh, he has to run piano wire because the the uh, great white will chew through the cable. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've heard that too. I mean, they're they're just massive beasts, and we've talked about great whites on the show too. But for somebody to use a rig of your of your making, you know, on a great white shark, I mean, that's got to make you feel proud, you know. <laughs> so, well, it's it's uh, it's nothing that I I. It was just waiting for somebody to do it. Right, somebody to accomplish that that goal. Yeah, I get what right, you're saying. Yeah. Right, I mean, I, I, you know, eight years ago we towed a truck with it. It's on it's on my uh, Facebook page. <laughs> If you look at the 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 uh, one of the videos on my Facebook page, it uh, shows my my green tundra towing a a, a uh, an Xterra. Oh my gosh! Another full size uh, vehicle. That's great. <laughs> yeah, and that's with a that's with a three hundred pound. Uh, it's a three hundred pound mono, six hundred pound cable, single crimped shark rig, that's and awesome. that's the same one that if somebody orders the twenty dollars shark rig from me, the HD, that's what they get. So. Yeah. Hey, I still great. build them to this day. You know, you can build, uh, you can get a heavier one or a longer shark rig. And that's one thing I kind of wanted to mention earlier sure. is in the, the building of the rigs that, uh, that I do, uh, all my gear is variations of the same rig. And it's uh, it's either heavier mono, lighter mono, heavier cable, lighter cable, uh, and different lengths and different hooks. Right, but it's basically the same. You have an upper parts mono, the lower parts cable, and it's uh, it's the best of both worlds. You get really good durability, but you also get very good, very high strength. Right, no, that's great. That's what you really want out of a good rig. Um, tell us how to find you, order your rigs, that kind of stuff. Um, I'm on eBay. Um, just look up uh, Double D Extreme Tackle on eBay. Uh, also, if you if you look up uh, castable shark rigs on uh, that's an easy way to do it on uh, Google, or you can just Google Double D Extreme, and my my uh, website will co- uh, will pop up. Right, and you've got a Facebook page. People can connect with you. I'll put that in the show notes yes, as I've well. Yes, I've got a Facebook page. It's Double D Extreme Tackle. It's actually off my page. Uh, like I said, my name is Daryl Palmer, uh-huh. and um, my number is two eight one eight zero four. Nine eight two nine. I answer phone calls anywhere from from eight in the morning till nine nine or so at night. Oh, that's great. So if you want to call me just to chit chat, there's been plenty of guys that have called up. Hey, I'm going here. 
what should I use? And, and uh, uh, like I said earlier, I don't know everything, but I, I know a little bit. Right. And uh, I'll, I'll try to steer them in the right direction. I had a client come out of uh, Mexico City last year. Um, he comes up to Florida every year because the uh, the beaches down there, I guess, are too dangerous with all the cartels and that. Yes. Um, so he comes up to Florida to go fishing, and they they put a an, with the with the information that I gave him, going from zero to to uh, almost a you know a, a almost a seasoned shark fisherman. They put a nice eight foot bull on the beach. Wow. And they were they were related between mm-hmm. him and his brother and his brother in law. That's great. No, that's they wonderful. all they all got him in, got him got him released safely, and um, they were elated. Oh, that's great! What a story, and and that's the thing about you that I've always liked. And I don't even remember how we met. I think it was on LinkedIn or something years ago. But I mean, the thing that I've always liked about you is how accessible you are, and how much knowledge that you've imparted on me about saltwater and especially big game saltwater fishing. Um, you know, and that's what I really want to dive more into in this show series is, uh, is that kind of stuff. So I really appreciate your time today. Well, you're welcome, Dustin. And it's a, it's always a pleasure talking with you. And, uh, uh, we're, you know, I think we've been friends for quite a long time. Yes. And uh, I think we'll, we're going to, you know, stay friends for a very long time. Cause we're, you know, we're, like you said, uh, you're, you're accessible just like I am. Sure. And all I have to do is pick up the phone and call you and, and, uh, and same thing with the with the clients that I have, uh, you know, is if if you need to talk or just want to, you know, shoot the shoot the breeze about fishing, you know, give me a holler. Um, I'll always I'll talk to you for hours about no, that's fishing. That's great. That's the thing I've always liked and, about um, you. That's yeah, great. You know, and if the thing is, and then one one thing I do tell the the uh, the folks that do call in, if you're ever on the beach and you got phone access, you get in a jam, call me. You know, I'll do my best to to talk you through it. Right. You know? That's another because great a lot, asset a lot of, of situations, yeah. A lot of the situations I've been in or have had friends that have been in and I, you know, I can, you know, if you, if you get into a situation where you're not sure what to do, you know, holler at me, right. uh, I'm pretty much available. You know, um, if it's three in the morning, you know, if, if it's something that's important, I'll answer it and I'll talk to you. Oh, that's great. That's so awesome. So, so. but yeah, I am, I am very accessible. Uh, I don't, I don't like, uh, calling into a company and, you know, needing to, to ask a question and, and be, you know, put off by some, you know, put off here or put off there and well, they're not available or, you know, that type of thing. And, and that's not the way I run my company. Oh, that's Um, great. I've, I've, uh, I take pride in, in the customer service rating that I have, which is a hundred, 100%. Yeah. Um, I've never had to field a complaint and I don't intend to because, uh, uh, I make sure that everybody's questions are answered and, and that they know what's going on. That's with, wonderful. You know, and if they don't, they've, they've always got my number. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, we better end it here. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. And there he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Daryl Palmer from double D extreme tackle. Really great guy, really enjoyed having him on the show, and really fun conversation that we had about saltwater fishing and uh, fish safety and handling fish and that kind of stuff, especially on some of those more dangerous fish that can hurt you. 
Um, so anyway, really look forward to uh, doing another show with him in the future, and uh, we'll talk more about offshore and big game fishing. We'll talk about uh, more inshore bay fishing and that kind of stuff uh, in the future, and there'll be some really great topics we can cover. I wanted to cover shark fishing now because it's, it's January when this show is airing, uh, you know, going live, I guess you could say, in 2018. Uh, sharks really don't get active until March, but I at least wanted to get the information out there, especially if we rebroadcast podcast this podcast again uh, just so people are, are you know have a heads up on what to expect if they catch a shark um, or, or, a, or a hard head or a gaff top or a uh, stingray or anything like that that we talked about in the show uh, just to know what to expect what to do uh, if you catch one of those so I just wanted to kind of get that information out there as we start the new year as we look forward to shark season uh, in the Gulf and, uh, and elsewhere um, around the world, uh, you know, when they start coming in closer to, uh, to where we can catch them. So anyway, thank you so much again for watching, reading, and listening. Thank you so much for telling a friend about the show and have an awesome day in the outdoors. We'll see you next time.